Can you say amen? Turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1. And I just want to go on record to say that I love Christmas. I mean, I love it. Yesterday when I was in Turkey Creek and I was in all that traffic and I went to Belk and there was a lady in front of me and she had 14 coupons and she had a cell phone and she bought, there was a coat there that was $400 by the time she came out with all her stuff she paid 12 cents for that coat. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I love Santa Claus. One of my favorite things about Christmas is growing up in a, in a home where your dad's a pastor and you go to a little a, a church that every Christmas Eve was a big deal to us. And I have so many great memories of Christmas at growing up with a family and with a church and being at church. And our church always had a lie, well, a cut Christmas tree. And you know why? Because of me. <laughs> I cut it and I put it up. I remember one year that when we were in the sanctuary, if the lights were off in the sanctuary, the lights did not work in the Sunday school room. And we had Santa back there, my brother and I did, and we were helping him with his beard, and we didn't have any lights. <clears throat> I did not know that wrapping paper, I did not know that it was flammable. <laughs> Almost burnt the church down. When Santa came in to the sanctuary, you could see everybody in the corner. I love Christmas. And there's lots of reasons I love Christmas, but the main reason I love Christmas is because of what's written in the Scriptures. I don't believe in the Christmas story. That's what people talk about. They talk about, the, let's read the Christmas story. I believe Christmas is an event. I believe it's a historical event. I believe the people that you read about on the, in, in the Bible that, that around Christmas time are real people. And you find in Luke chapter number 1, you find Luke. Luke is a Gentile. Luke is a physician. And Luke is writing to this fellow in, in verse number 3 of chapter 1. His name is Theopolis. And he's, he's he, Theopolis, we don't know much about him, but we know this. He also was a Gentile. And, and, and Luke is trying to... Um, uh, this is written in 70 A.D. He's trying to get all of his facts together because he's uh, writing the book of Luke and then later he'll write the, the acts of, of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and what's happening here is that, that this Gentile is trying to tell that this Jesus that was born was not just for the Jewish nation. When you read the book of Luke, you will hear him use words that, that, that this is good news to all people. This was good news to both the Jew and the Gentile. And Luke goes to great length in, in trying to, to establish the, the, the historical foundation of Christmas. Inasmuch as many have taken hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were witnesses and ministers of the word delivered them unto us, Luke said, many people have, have, have tried to write about this Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to meet with some eyewitnesses. I need to talk to Mary. I need to talk to these disciples. And I need to lay out the birth, 
the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what he does in this third gospel. He tells the story based on eyewitnesses' experiences of those that were in and around Jesus. So nowhere in the Christmas story do you find these words, once upon a time. This is a real happening time. In Luke chapter number 1, verse number 5, the Bible says this, There, were, there was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless. You have Elizabeth and Zechariah. These folks are, are faithful to God. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were priestly families. What that means is this, is that Zechariah, his dad was a priest. His granddad was a priest. His, his great-granddad was a priest. Elizabeth, his wife, her dad was a priest. Her, her granddad, her great-granddad. You can run Elizabeth, her priestly family, all the way back to Aaron. So these people, Aaron, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah, are, are, are children of priests. And the Bible says this in verse number 6, they both talking about Elizabeth and Zechariah, they both were righteous before God, walking in all of his commandments and ordinances, and they were blameless before the Lord. The word righteous in verse number 6, it means innocent. It means holy. These two people, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, they were not perfect. They were not spotless without blemish, but they were very, very good people. They were faultless. They were Blameless. They were unblameable according to the scriptures. The word righteous and the word blameless means they were living in obedience to God's commands and God's uh, requirements. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, that's a lot. Elizabeth and Zechariah were faithful servants of God. Sunday morning, Sunday night, they went to Sunday school. These two people, they even went to church on Wednesday night. Basically, Elizabeth and Zechariah were living by faith. Great, great godly people. Look at verse number 7. <clears throat> but, these great godly faithful people that was blameless before the Lord. How's that working out for you? But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and, and they were both well advanced in years. Faithful servants of God, following God, walking in all of his commandments, and they were blameless, but they had no children. In those days, it was considered a curse from God for a woman not to be able to have children. I have spent a lot of time in my ministry ministering to parents who wrestle with infertility and who want to have a baby and haven't been able to pull that off. My wife and I have walked through that valley where we wanted to have children. And it's a very, very difficult, difficult thing in this culture that we live in today. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but let me say this. In the culture and the, in the world that uh, Elizabeth lived in, her uh, inability to have a child, the people considered her cursed by God. 
this faithful servant of God, walking with God, doing all the temple, doing all the God stuff, she, it was, she was considered to, to be cursed. Elizabeth and Zechariah were faithful to the Lord because of the promise of Christmas. They are faithfully serving God, doing all that God's called them to do, but they have no children. Why? Because they are, they are looking for this promise, the promise of Christmas. The promise of Christmas in those days was about 4,000 years old in the days of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Well, what does this mean? Well, in Genesis chapter number 3, in Genesis chapter number 3, beginning in uh, around verse 6 or 7, you find that, that uh, Abra, uh, Adam, and, uh, Adam and Eve, you know those folks, Adam and Eve, they had disobeyed God and sin had entered into their lives. And the Bible says in verse number 7, their eyes were open and they, that they were naked and that they were hiding from God. And God comes along in the, in the Garden of Eden, and he finds this man, this woman, this people that he had commanded not to eat of his, his, his fruit. He told them not to do that. They disobeyed him. They were naked. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, God made them the promise, the promise of Christmas. God said this, I will put deep-seated hatred... Between you and the woman, God is talking to the serpent, and between you and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, just a few verses after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, they had sinned against God, God comes out with the first proclamation of the gospel. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have separated yourself from me. But I have a plan. I will restore you. And this verse number 15 is the first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. Now, what happened after Genesis chapter number 3? Well, Genesis chapter number 3 kind of went downhill. Because there was something called the what? The flood. How many animals did Moses take on the ark? There you go. Moses didn't take any on the ark. It was Noah. <laughs> the flood, God destroyed all of the human race. God destroyed uh, uh, all of creation except what was on the ark. Adam, his three wives. Or, <laughs> now I've gone to that myself. <laughs> Noah, his wife, their children, and their wives. Then in Genesis chapter number 12, God spoke to a man by the name of Abram. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out from your family, from this country, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's happening here? God is talking to a man by the name of Abram. And he says, you leave this Ur of Chaldean, you go to a land that I will show you, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Everybody in this room has heard the name Abraham before they came here this morning. 
God did what he said he was going to do. He made that name great. He said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And I am going through this nation, from your seed, Abraham, you will be a blessing to all families all over the world. Do you remember what happened? Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. You remember those two rascals? You remember how, how Esau was the oldest child, but God chose Jacob, and Jacob had this wrestling match with the Lord, and the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And Israel became this great nation, and they were in bondage in a place called Egypt, and they were in bondage for 400 years. Then came this man named Moses. Moses negotiated with Pharaoh. Uh, uh, Pharaoh let his people go. They came out of bondage. They went through the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness. Forty years later, they ended up in the place called the Promised Land, the land of Canaan. And there was this man named Joshua. You remember Joshua? Joshua, he was a a great military leader. He he took them into the land there, and they ran off all the the giants in the land. And for seven years, I preached through the book of Joshua two years ago. I preached on the good old days. This was the nation of Israel walking hand in hand with God, and God was doing everything that he had promised to do. He's going to make them a great and mighty nation. But then what happened? Now, just, just hang on here because this is the Old Testament in two minutes. Joshua died, there came a king named Saul, there came a king named David, and then there came a king by the name of Solomon. Man, you're talking about a great king, Solomon. For 40 years he reigned, and the nation of Israel was at peace. He was a great architect. Man, he built this awesome, awesome temple. He was a great financier. He had money. He, he was a great educator. He was very smart. During the days of Solomon, man, this nation of Israel was really, really rolling. This was about 900 years before Jesus. After Solomon, this nation of Israel, they went into a time of they split they were in bondage, out of bondage. From, from, Zachar, uh, from Joshua, uh, Solomon, to Jesus, 900 years, this nation of Israel was in bondage over 25 times. Their temple got destroyed. Many people that were descendants of Abraham, they walked away from God. They turned their back on him. Said, we don't want anything to do with this. If, 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 if this is what it's like, if, if, if God is this way, we don't want to be considered one of God's people. Have you ever been walking step by step with God, doing all that God had commanded you to do? Just like Elizabeth, just like Zechariah, and then you got caught up in this awful, awful storm. And there has been these times in your life when you've wondered, God, where are you? Well, here they are, Elizabeth and Zechariah going to the temple every day, serving God faithfully. And they are, they are trusting God. Why? Because they believe in the promise of Christmas. They believe that, that what God told Abraham almost 4,000 years ago, they believe that this promise is still going to come true. Approximately one year before the birth of Jesus, this promise from God seemed impossible. Watch what happened. Back to Luke, Luke chapter number 1, faithfully serving the Lord. Verse number 8 says this, 
So it was while he was serving as priest, talking about Zechariah, before the Lord in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense where he went into the temple of the Lord. Zechariah is an old man. He's faithfully served the Lord for a long, long time. He's in this priestly um, division of Abijah. Two, year, two times a year, this, this priestly division would come to Jerusalem. They would come to the temple. And when they came there, they would serve around the temple for a week. And as they were there, they would cast lots to see who could serve in the, in the temple, uh, in the holy place. And I don't know how they did that. They just believed that God was in the casting of lots. I don't know if those preachers come out there every morning and just kind of stuck their hands out, went one potato, two potato, three potato, four. I don't know how they came up with who was going to serve. But this old man, this old man Zechariah was given the privilege of going into the holy place. In the holy place, there was the table of showbread, and there was the candlestick, and, and right here was a, a, the, what they called the golden altar of incense. Just beyond the golden altar of incense was this, this veil, the temple, that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Just beyond the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, where they believed that was the presence of God. And th- this great privilege of to come into this holy place and to be able to, to uh, take this frankincense off the table of showbread and walk over to this golden altar and drop that, that, that incense on the uh, altar and it would produce a sweet smell as though it was producing a smell before the Lord. See, that, that, that's a good place to teach praise and worship because it, it produced a sweet smell. And as Zechariah was in this place and as he was doing this ministry, he was filling out his lifelong dream. The Bible says in verse number 11, then... An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers is heard, and your wife Elizabeth." will bear you a son, and shall, you shall call his name John. Say, so watch. He's doing the ministry. He's working. And all of a sudden, there's an angel. The angel of the Lord. Gabriel. And when Zechariah saw the angel, the Bible says he was afraid. Anytime you see an angel in the Bible, people are afraid. So the angel said to Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. And it, it, isn't that a great thought when you're walking through this storm and you're walking through this challenge and you're walking through, through all this stuff? Isn't it good to know that you have a God in heaven that hears you when you pray? And there he is. He's standing before this uh, this angel, and the angel said, said, fear not, your prayers have been heard. You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And his name will be called John. John the Methodist. <laughs> John the Baptizer. And can, can, you, can you believe what, what, 
what he did, verse number 14, the angel is talking to Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Listen. Next week, we're going to talk about how, how Mary, when she heard from the angel Gabriel, how she went to Elizabeth and she told Elizabeth that, that she was pregnant with the Christ child. You know what that six-month-old baby did in, while it was in, the ba- in, in his mama's womb? The Bible says he leaped. He was, at that moment, he became a spirit-filled, probably tongue-talking baby. He, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He'll be that way from his, from his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall not drink strong drink. Look at verse number 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Many people over the 4,000 years that you've been living this promise and waiting on the Lord, they have turned their back on God. Your son, John, is going to preach. They're going to return. He will also go before him. Look how the word him is spelled. Capital H-I-M. He will go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to uh, the wisdom to the trust to the just and to make ready a people prepare the way for the Lord and Zechariah can you see him he's standing in the presence of Gabriel and Zechariah said to the angel how shall this be I think the Bible is funny How shall this be? For I am an old man. Now my wife, she is well advanced in years. Now don't you go out and tell her I said she was old. That wasn't what I said. How can this be? I'm an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. Listen to me, Gabriel. There was a time when my wife and I, when we prayed for a child. When we first got married, we prayed that we would have a baby. We prayed when we were 20. We prayed when we were 30. When we were 40. When we were 50 years old, we prayed for a baby. And and we didn't have a baby. Now listen, now I am old. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. I I, I can see this happening. What do you mean I'm going to have a baby? Are you sure? Have I ever told you that the Bible repeats itself? You remember Abram and Sarai? They were not spring chickens when they had children. And the angel said to him, King Wayne version, What do you mean you don't believe me? Do you know who I am? I am Gabriel. I am an archangel. I am the messaging angel. I bring messages to people. And I have stood in the presence of God and I have been sent to you. To tell you that your prayers have been heard and you're going to have a baby. And because of your non-belief, you, you, shall, you shall be mute. Verse 20, behold, you will be mute 
and not able to speak until these things that take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their appointed time. show you something you remember those words there the appointed time watch this i be dramatic and I'm long drawn out at moments like this because I really want you to pay attention you know who that is it's not Homer That's Homer. <laughs> for those of you that's worshiping for the first time, we'll, you'll have, we'll teach you about Homer later. This is you. You know who this is? That's you. You know what that is? It's a storm. You know who this is? It's you. Now listen. The reason I do this right here is because I want you... When preachers preach and you get up and you walk out the back door, you're not concerned about the Word of God. You're concerned about the cracker barrel. Now nobody said amen, but now I got you right where I want you. When you walk... Listen, I do stuff like this right here because I want the Word of God to penetrate your heart. If God's word gets into your heart, it changes you. Every person in this worship center, every person in this worship center is either going into a storm or coming out of a storm or in a storm. Everybody in here. If you are in a storm, maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you are, are in a financially tough spot. Maybe you have gotten a bad report from the doctor and you are in a storm. You need to know something. And this is based on the Word of God. And this is why the Christmas message is so important. This is why this Christmas message, although it's 2,000 years old, it's still relevant. There is an appointed time that God is going to bring you out of this. The storm is bigger than you, but the storm is not bigger than our God. And you know what? As God looks over the balcony of heaven, I, 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 I met a man one time who was with the, um, the United States Army, and he worked at the Pentagon. And he told me that he sat in a room all day long in this big room. There was this there were maps all around him. It was the maps of the world. And as he looked around that big room at those maps, there was red lights that were flashing. And those red lights that was flashing around the world, that was saying to the Pentagon, these people are in trouble and the United States, we're watching this situation very carefully. 
This week, as you went to the doctor and the doctor discovered a spot, or maybe there's a lump, or maybe there's a bad diagnosis, there's a light going off in heaven. And God has his eye right on you. And you thought, when you heard this from your husband, or you heard this from your your, your boss, when you heard these things, you felt so all, you felt so alone. And you thought, how in the name of Jesus... Am I going to get through this storm? Just as the Lord showed up in the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah, this senior adult woman who was past childbearing years, whose womb was barren anyway, Look what God did. He did it in Elizabeth. He did it in Sarah. Those dead wombs, he resurrected them. And out of that womb of Sarah came a nation. Out of this dead womb of Elizabeth came the greatest preacher since Jesus Christ. But there was another resurrection. It was just about a stone's away from a place called Calvary. They took Jesus, God's only son, they took him off the cross, and they took him and they placed him in the tomb, and they rolled the stone in front of the tomb, and for three days, I know this, this is not Easter, this is Christmas, but you need to know that there was a resurrection that took place there also. And you know what? You know what person that's in, that's in the storm? You need to hear this. The same God, the same God that took care of Elizabeth and Zechariah is going to take care of you. He does not love anybody, he does not love Elizabeth and Zechariah any more than he loves you. And here's what's going to happen. You're in this storm, and you're in a mess. And God's going to bring you out of that mess, and he's going to take your mess, and he's going to make a message out of it. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm struggling with drugs and alcohol, and I'm in an awful storm. Doctors can't help me. My family can't help me. There's nothing I can do. I'm in an awful, awful place. Yes, that storm is bigger than you. It's a mess, or in, in, in Main Street terms, it's a gom. But God can handle it. God's going to place his hand on you. He's going to bring you out of this situation. He's going to mold you. He's going to change you. And that addiction and that thing that you struggle with, he's going to take that mess. He's going to make a message out. And you're going to be able to minister to people. You're going to bring them out of the storm just like God brought you out of the storm. Those people who are struggling in their marriage and and feel like it's coming apart, you know what? God's going to fix that. God's going to ask you to be faithful and ask you to be strong and courageous. Stay where you are. Do what God's called you to do. I'm going to fix it. And then you're going to minister to the world because of your storm. Obedience always brings blessings. Verse number 13 says this, that you shall have a son and you shall call his name John. John, he, he, he went on to preach, and, 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 and he was a great blessing, not only to his mom and dad, but to his, his entire nation. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness will last beyond you. Verse number 16 says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
Because you are being faithful to God in the storm, you're hanging on to God in the storm, He's going to bring you through that. And because of your faithful and because of your obedience, He's going to minister to your children and to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren simply because you held on. You know what? You don't have to worry about God holding on to you. Because God will never, ever let go. He will hang on to you all the way through the storm. And listen to this. There's nothing, absolutely nothing too big for God. Zacharias said, how can this be? I'm an old man. My wife is older. There's nothing that God cannot do. About six months later, the same angel appeared to, to Mary. And she, he, the angel said, you have found favor with God, and you're going to have a son. And she said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. He said, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. You know, I believe with all my heart that you came to Main Street Church here this morning. You came to worship, and you came here to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe there's a word here for you this morning. And the word is this. You need to keep on keeping on. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You get up tomorrow and you go to work. You keep being the good wife. You keep being the good husband. You keep being the good child. Sometimes you wonder, why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to behave? Why am I continuing to to do what's right? I'm not gaining anything from it. Listen, there's obedience always brings blessings. Are you in a storm? God's not left you. He's not forsaken you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Bow your head with me, please. So your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Isn't this a great promise from God to know that He's going to take care of you? During times of struggle, during times of heartache, God allows us to go through these things so that He might cause us to trust Him. All He wants us to do trust Him. This morning, during our time of invitation, I want to ask you, if, if you're going through a storm and you're having a hard time, maybe you just want to come this morning and lay that storm on the altar. Just lay it at the foot of the cross. Symbolically, I'm going to leave my pew and I'm going to walk to the altar and I'm going to lay this on the altar. I'm going to give it to Jesus and I'm going to leave it lay there and ask God to do what only God can do. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to join Main Street Church. Maybe you're here this morning, you want to be saved. Maybe you just want to give your heart to Christ. Maybe you just want to come and pray. Listen, our worship time is not over. Matter of fact, we may be entering into the most important portion of our worship service. At this moment, during this time of invitation, if God speaks, you move. You do what God has asked you to do. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Stand.